Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're glad that you're with us today on this episode of the RV Navigator for August 2007. And we hope that you'll send us some emails as you think of uh, comments. Or instead of yelling at your radio with uh, disagreeing with us, why not just send us an email at navigator at rvnavigator.com. We'd certainly appreciate your listening, and we hope that we have some interesting things for you to talk about. And you might have some suggestions for us for things to talk about as well. Of course. We are always interested in suggestions from our loyal listeners, the loyal listener base, which is growing and growing. First order of business today is to share with you one of the segments from the RV Radio Moments uh, website, which has uh, audio clips uh, that explain various things to do with RV. Today's is about how we got the name Fifth Wheel. This is shared to you with permission from RV. This RV Radio Moment is brought to you by RVBookstore.com offering the world's largest selection of books and DVDs about the RV lifestyle. This week's question is, why don't fifth-wheel trailers have five wheels? Here's what our experts say. Before World War I, trailers were hitched directly to the rear bumpers of cars, which caused the front of the car to tilt upwards. In 1917, Glenn Curtis invented the fifth wheel as a way to place the trailer's weight over the car's rear axle to stabilize transport. First, he designed a casted bracket that was round and bolted to the floorboards of the car's trunk or under the rumble seat. The car's spare tire, or fifth wheel, easily fit within the round bracket when deflated. When you wanted to tow your trailer, you inflated the fifth wheel until it fit tight and snug within the bracket. After removing the trunk lid or rumble seat cover, you brought the trailer hitch pin down to the axle hole of the fifth wheel. The assembly was further stabilized by a metal plate that bolted over the pin to prevent it from popping out of the axle hole. The principles Mr. Curtis used in his design are essentially the same ones used on today's fifth wheels. But we're going to save most of the customization uh, ideas that we've had um, to share with you until next time because this is going to be, as I originally stated, a technology RV podcast. And Which means you won't hear much from me. Oh, but you're the typical user and you keep me honest. Keep, ask some dumb questions. We have been amazed at uh, how quickly the our RV has sold, our other RV sold, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had ma- misgivings and, and about how the web has who, just... Who would come with a, a truck appropriate for our yes. trailer and buy it from us? I just and really and had misgivings. And we had a gentleman come from Duluth, the mid- Duluth mid- Minnesota about to Chicago, where we live. Eight-hour drive, eight drive from yeah, here? Yeah, sight unseen and bought our RV. You know, so if you're thinking about selling something, I, this is the eBay phenomenon uh, taken to the RV site. Uh, we put ours for sale, uh, a website that was specializing in RVs, and it sold within three or four days for a reasonable price, we think. And we were stunned. 
And even more amazingly, a friend of ours went through a similar yes, experience selling his motorhome, uh, put it on the web, and it was purchased by someone from another country. country. Now, granted, Canada doesn't, doesn't feel like much of another country, but Unless this raised significant issues in terms of currency exchange and wire transfers and, and the you know, safety of his transaction our friend wanted to have the money be right. in in hand before he let go of the motorhome and the canadian wanted to make sure that the motorhome was what he expected it to be sight unseen but again i can't believe they, he drove there he wire drove transferred the, the money calgary to michigan and and everything worked just fine except when our friend <laughs> went to buy his new, new motor RV. home, <laughs> which he had also located on the web, web from a dealer in Florida. Whose name we won't mention, but it is the largest RV dealer in the United States, and it's in Tampa. And its initials are LD. <laughs> oh, she's giving far too much away. Nobody will know who this is. So our friend had real issues because he's planning on going to Mexico this winter, and you might know in the diesel world all the new engines uh, require low sulfur diesel and at the present time you can only reliably buy low sulfur diesel within the united states so RVers who are planning a trip to canada or mexico need to have engines built before to 2000 january of 2007, 2007. and this uh, low sulfur diesel is something that's new at the pumps and one of the reasons why diesel is more expensive than it has been in the past. I, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but this is an example of where it, uh, it really came into play in the purchasing decision because our friend was looking to buy a new coach. And, and, and we've read that a lot of the manufacturers really snapped, snapped up, up a lot of the old 2006 engines because they realized that this would be a problem. And, and so our friend was told that he was buying a brand, brand new coach. And it was a 2008. With a 2006 engine. engine in it. Now that seems rather strange, but that means that the engine was built before January of 2007. So uh, it is possible, but those are becoming fewer and fewer. So he was excited about this. And, and drove all the way from Michigan, Michigan to Florida. <laughs> to Florida. Had a conniption fit, got his money back, and drove home again. And currently is RV-less. RV so he sold his RV, and it's currently in Canada, and now he doesn't have one to buy because it's hard to buy these uh, these low sulfur, no, it's easy to buy a low sulfur engine. It's hard to buy one that uses the standard diesel that we've had for years. And, w and that was a factor as we were, were purchasing ours, too, because as we've mentioned, ours is a 2004 and uh, a lightly used 2004, and we're pretty happy with uh, that decision because we can go to Mexico or Canada or wherever and uh, expect to find fuel that we can use. It's not that it won't burn it, it's just that the new engines, it will corrupt their emission control system, which you pay big bucks for. That's another thing, is, is these new engines are much more expensive. Ken just used the term lightly used, which makes me remember that if you are buying a used RV and you buy one that is lightly used, that the thing you want to look at then is um, have some things kind of rusted together or corroded shut because <laughs> yes. they have never ever been used. For example, our rig has two lovely, fantastic fans in it, and uh, Ken had to go up on the roof and pull on them while I was trying to push them open from the inside because the previous owner had never used them, and they'd kind of glued themselves down. And you had a nozzle that you can pump up air and tires. and Yeah, it was totally rusted shut. And you, you had know, to replace air, air outlet for filling the tires and that sort of stuff, for access to the air system on the, on the 
motor home. Those things with the little WD-40. And we knew the Fantastics had never been used because the, the they vent, were so anybody clean. who's used a Fantastic knows that the vent gets crapped up with uh, all sorts of dust and crud and corrosion. And uh, these were pristine. And, of course, because they were almost glued down because they've been sitting there for so long was another good clue also. But as usual, we digress. Our yes. point in our first two stories was to talk once again about the power of the Internet and the reason why we absolutely, positively, absolutely have to have the Internet in our motorhome. She sounds emphatic. I'm sold. And, of course, we have talked about this before, and as everybody realizes, uh, if you've seen the pictures on our website and has heard us talk, you know that we have full-time connection and that we have been using a Motosat uh, satellite dish um, for a couple of years, but as we transitioned to the new motorhome, we were wondering how this was going to work and what we were going to do, and of course, I'm always keeping my eye out for new and interesting ways to connect to the internet that is right here, right now, that's uh, very exciting, and uh, there have been several articles about this. Every, every RV magazine that you pick up has how to connect to the internet. We now have two internet connections on our coach. <laughs> And she's very happy. Well, I'm not happy about two monthly bills. We're, we're talking that's, about that's wireless connections here. Now, we need to clarify the term Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi is an extension of an already existing Internet connection. It is, an, uh, it is in and of itself, not an Internet connection. So we, of course, are using Wi-Fi, but it's just to extend the satellite connection or in the new case the cell phone connection so you can use Wi-Fi in conjunction with other wireless internet connection to do that you need a Wi-Fi router. Ooh, I hate to use the term router well that name makes sense to me because it routes the signal from okay. the outside to the inside yeah it, now don't yell at your at your radio when I use this analogy but it's kind of like a TV antenna splitter for every TV in your in your RV you don't need to have a separate antenna you have a splitter and a router takes your internet connection and routes it or splits it so that multiple computers can use it or in the case of a Wi-Fi router it has an antenna on it, and that antenna sends out a, a radio signal, which then is received by each of the computers that are connected to it, and then they can share that Internet connection. And that is essential to us because we have three computers with us. Oh, wait a minute. Only three? <laughs> Only two people. <laughs> but we are frequently using three computers simultaneously because you have something downloading or working on, on one machine. Well, sometimes, too, we're, we're very enthusiastic <laughs> Mac people, but we do also own a PC, and sometimes we use it for software that is only available for P PC. I think we're rationalizing. But anyway, we have three computers in the RV, and uh, we want them all to be connected to the Internet simultaneously. This has kind of stopped us from using a cell phone connection prior to this because you bought a cell phone card that slipped into a slot on your PC, it uh, made that computer connected to the Internet, but then the other computers were off by themselves. So there have been some different uh, approaches to this and some exciting news in this regard because the cell phone companies have decided that they would like to get into the data market. They've been in the, f in the voice market for a long time, as you know from being able to talk on the cell phone, 
and you know the convenience of that is just amazing it's stunning that people can just call us any place in the whole United States and our phone rings but that's amazing but wouldn't it be nice to have internet the same way and you have been able to connect up with internet we have a, a dear friendly reader who um, I'm very envious is up in the San Juan Islands of Washington State and is sailing around out there and on his boat he has a cell phone connection and does internet and sends us email but there are some new ways to do it and with the predominance data networks and the interest in data cell phone companies have increased the capacities of their data networks and now with what's called 3G which is third generation cell phone service which emphasizes data and if you have Sprint or Verizon you can have EVDO which is the high speed data connection over a cell phone you don't actually have to have a cell phone but you have to have the cell phone card now you're saying well okay what's new well the other thing that's new that's happened is is that they now make a cell phone card router so you now take the cell phone card that you got at Sprint or Verizon and you plug it into the router instead of plugging it into your computer the router is Wi-Fi enabled so it's talking to the cell phone tower over one antenna and it's broadcasting the internet over the other antenna now that would be okay but they also have made another change and it's called Reve. <laughs> are you going to remember all this? No way. Well, you don't necessarily have to remember all this because you can always go back to the podcast and listen to it. But the bottom line is, if you want Internet in your motorhome, then this is really an exciting way to do it. So with EVDO on Sprint or Verizon and with a router and with Rev-A cards and cell phone service, you now can have high-speed data network that can be shared by multiple computers in your motorhome. It doesn't cost much more than the standard data cost. And you're saying, what's that? Well, we pay about $60 a month for unlimited access to the Internet, no minutes to being charged. We can have multiple computers connected to that router. And it's a lifesaver when you are parked under that tree. tree. Because when you are using a satellite dish, you always have to have free and clear access to the satellite. And under a tree or in a congested urban area, that just ain't going to happen. With very little investment, the router itself costs a couple hundred dollars. And right now, at Sprint anyway, where we got ours, the EVDO uh, cell phone card is free with rebates and a two-year contract and blah, blah, blah. So that was free. So basically, we're paying the $60 a month for high-speed Internet service through the cell phone. And since we've had it, it's been great fun for me as Ken is driving down the road Ooh, to pull out my laptop and read my email Ooh. and do some surfing. <laughs> and often he asks me questions about a restaurant up ahead or whether the diesel is cheap. And now I am empowered to actually find out the answer to those questions. And that is a very cool feature. But I have to be in an area where Sprint cell phone service is provided. Well, and to get the best service, you have to be in a Rev-A 3G <laughs> connection zone. And of course, those are going to grow dramatically. But this is one of the things that we have experienced in the last month since we got this, is that it isn't uh, always as advertised. And the speed of uh, data yes. transmission varies greatly. So let's talk for, uh, for a minute about the speeds that we have experienced. We were camped in one location in Michigan, 
and we were camped at the Michigan Motor Speedway and the service there was staggeringly fast. You don't have to understand the numbers, but just understand the relative difference between the numbers. So we were getting about two about 2.2 kilobits per second, 2.2,000, 2,200 kilobits per second, which is staggeringly fast. <laughs> I used to have uh, be in charge of uh, internet connections in, a, in our business and we first, in 1994, we bought our first T1 line, which is kind of the gold standard of of internet connections at the time, and still is used many in many ways today. An internet, a T1 line is 1.54. So the cell phone service is 2.2 million bits per second. That T1 line cost us $1,800 a month. And here we are with a cell phone, unlimited service, getting faster than a T1 for $60 a month. And that's when a dollar was worth a dollar. By the same token, we have uh, driven into, uh, we were in our, uh, in more in our, well, in our exact neighborhood, and we get about uh, three or 400 as opposed to 2,000 bits per second. And we were down a little bit further south in Illinois, and... Uh, we were off of the 3G Rev-A network, um, but still connected, and we were getting in the, in the range of 50 kps. And 50 is about the speed of dial-in. One of the things that I was experimenting with is downloading podcasts as we traveled around. And you could download a podcast such as ours on that slow collect connection, but my computer would tell me it would take like three hours, which is hardly worth it. It was good that uh, we were connected. And it was viable, but it was uh, very varying speeds. And we couldn't tell by the actual community that we were in or how close we were to the cell towers or anything like that. It just seemed to be, I don't know what they've, if they've upgraded them, I guess. And I like that it's just always on. You don't have to log in or dial. Yes, or yes. It's just there all the time. Yeah, no logging, no dialing. Except when it's not there. Uh, sometimes we have had trouble with our router failing. Mm. And, well, and it would just crashing. need to be rebooted. Yes. Um, which is annoying, but certainly something that's easily which overcome. Which means unplugging it and plugging it back into the power supply. But, of course, you can also take... The, our router has a 12-volt power supply, so you can also take it and plug it into your car and take it wherever you have 12 volts. I mean, literally, you could take it out into a park or any place and have Internet connection. And, and because it has Wi-Fi with it, too, you could leave the router in your car and walk out into the park and you'd have Internet. You can open your internet cafe in a park near you. So the other connection we have is the satellite connection. And uh, that involves, uh, as we know, because just two weeks ago we had to haul the dish. Well, after we took it off of our old RV, we had to haul it up to the top of our new motorhome and install it up on the roof. And that was pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. And, and fragile and unwieldy. So that was Not too fragile, but it's it's uh, it's unwieldy beast. This takes uh, a professional installer, although I did help the guy. You have to glue it down and put screws in the roof. And, and drill and holes in the roof. Very scary. Well, well, and then there have to be, you have to put the wires into the inside the coach, of course, and so how do you get them in there? And you, well, you drill holes in the roof. But in all honesty, our last one had at least three holes as a result of the satellite dish, <clears throat> and it worked fine. 
and the holes did not cause any problem or any uh, discontinuity in the roof. Never had a leak, never had a problem. But you do want to use Dicor, and Dicor is a sealant that you use to seal these uh, holes up with. Where do you get it? Well, any RV store, Camping World or wherever. And Dicor is, uh, comes in tubes, and it's, uh, it looks like... Uh, any sort of caulking compound that you might use, but it's especially made for rubber roofs, and it's especially made to uh, weather the weather, and it's it's an RV product. Um, I don't think you find it at the home store, and it's very good because it stays pliable for a long time. So even if these wires move around a little bit or expand or contract or something, the the Dicor will still maintain its integrity. And by the way, you know you should go up and check your roof every once in a while. I talk to people who are. Not roof people, I guess. I don't know. I go up on our roof all the time. It's kind of high up there. Well, I like to take pictures from up there, but you, know, you get a great view of the campground. And, of course, you want pictures of your satellite dish and other sort of things. But I go up there, and, and you want to check out the, the seals on all of the things that are already making holes in your roof. Uh, the fantastic vents, for instance, and all of the holding tank vents. All of them, sh- and, the, and the, the seals for the roof. And you should be able to take your fingernail and it's in dent material that they've used. And if it's not, then you need to apply some, if it's hard and cracking, then you need to apply some Dicor to it. And this should be done probably at least every five years anyway. Um, so we have a couple of wires running through the inside and it connects up to the hardware on the inside. Um, and this hardware costs, well, we decided to upgrade. So we've got the latest in cell phone technology and the latest in, in satellite technology. But the old dish. Yeah, but the the dish hasn't really changed much. Um, I think they made some internal changes, but in terms of the way it receives the signal, that's not a problem. Now, a lot of the motorhomes that I see going down the road have a dome. Mm. Yeah, and you'd think that that might be the same thing, but enclosed. Um, the dome is only for TV. And we and don't want to just have TV. We want to have high-def well, TV uh, uh, and the Internet. Our, our satellite dish, which is a Motosat, and it, it looks like a dish when it's deployed, has four receivers on it. And those are called LNBs, and they receive signals from four different satellites. And the reason why that is is we need one for the Internet, so the Internet comes off of one satellite, and then three for direct TV. You're saying, wow, three for DirecTV? Yes. Because one is for high def. Because one is for high definition signals from DirecTV, and the other two are for the other channels from DirecTV. And if you have a dome on your, on your motorhome, the way I understand it works, I've never really used a dome, but I've helped people with <laughs> problems, um, is, is that when you change channels, it changes satellites for you. Well, I don't like that. There must be a time delay while it's doing that. Must be, and a lot of mechanical stuff to go wrong. And and our satellite dish, our Directv dish, needs a constant signal, especially if you're recording on one channel and and playing and and want to watch something else. So ours allows us to do just exactly what we do at home and watch any channel just by pressing the button. Now our dish automatically aims itself and Very locks cool. into all of the four things that it needs to lock into. Mm. Could you could you do that manually? It seems too complicated to me. There are two types of dishes that you can't have. That's a good question. There are two types of dishes that you can get. One is the automatic one like we have on our roof. And it has motors and stuff and, and has a GPS built into it so that it knows where it is and it knows where the satellites are. You press the button and 10 minutes later it's connected. Now, you can have a tripod, 
and a dish, same dish, same receiver that you would set out into the outside of your motorhome and run wires into the inside and you would go out there and manually aim it. And they have special meters. The problem is, is that there are three axes to, to align it to. You have to do the skew, the azimuth, and the elevation. So the satellite dish needs to be tilted. That's the skew. So that up and down, back and forth, and tilted. So that, because the dish is oval, it's because it has to follow the path. Path. <laughs> I hope you have lost. We haven't lost too many people. Their eyes are crossed, <laughs> or they're yelling at. Well, but I think the question is: Is it worth the money to buy one That's that really aims itself? And from the struggles that I've seen you go through when we didn't have well, that was much just with the direct aim, TV. Yeah. Um, that that was challenging enough, although you got pretty good at it, and I think this would just be too... Well, you see lots of people doing it, especially if you're going to be in a place for a fairly long period yeah, of time. Yeah, for people like, like us who move a lot. Because we move a lot, and we can just pull up to anywhere, push the button, and bink, we're on, as long as there are no trees in the southern sky or other obstructions. And that's a big issue, because with the portable dish, of course, you can go out there and kind of aim through the trees. And there's even a gizmo that allows you to help you, and I put that uh, link on one of the previous podcasts. We uh, pretty much can move our coach back and forth until we can find an open place. Hopefully. Oh, idiots out there. Oh, move your coach ahead two feet, two feet, so you can get through the hole in the trees with your satellite dish. We've spent hours doing this. No, 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 not hours, but we've spent some time doing this because it's mounted permanently on the roof. Okay, so once that's done, it's all installed, and that costs a fair amount of money. As I said, the portable one costs $1,800. The satellite dish on ours costs about uh, uh, $5,000, and then the internal electronic components, which are the same for both, are, I guess, about $800. So you need a modem and a controller. And then, of course, you need a direct TV box if you're going to hook up TV, too. Um, so anyway, that, that can get to be fairly expensive. But once again, it is an ongoing expense. And you now have unlimited Internet access 24-7 for $60 a month. So, so it's the same. are the same price. But the satellite investment is much more. The satellite works everywhere. We've used it from the very southernmost point of Mexico. Yep all the way north to Montana, yep. and while we haven't done it yet ourselves, we understand it will work equally well in the northeast. So it works any place that you have a shot at the sky, and it works consistently at the same speed, so there's none of this, because you're always connected to the same transmitter on the satellite, and the satellite's always the same. To the satellite, you're in the same place and nothing has changed, so you have the same stable connection as always. Whereas with the cell phone, because you're going from tower to tower, and frankly probably from company to company, very inconsistent, but still usable. One thing I hate, I don't mind buying a, uh, spending a lot of money to buy these things initially, but I hate the monthly fees. And it especially bugs me when we have to pay to subscribe to these services for the months that we are not on the road and we're really not using right. them. Well, the cell phone service you could bring in the house. So if you live in a rural area, well, if you live in a rural area, you probably, you probably have a cell phone. Cell phone uh, but or, if you, or in your car yes, when you're at home. If you, have a different, if you have multiple needs for your Internet service, the cell phone is very portable. You just the, the little cell phone router, you just pick it up and take it with you, and you can plug it in anywhere. Um, in a hotel, for instance, on the road would be convenient. Uh, yeah, but these days well, hotels have yeah, internet but, yeah, most of the time. This is free. Yeah. Well, this is well, this you've paid for. Yeah. Uh, whereas, of course, the satellite is, is 
it's, it's portable in that it's on your RV. Yeah, but you can't bring it much else. You could bring it into your house if you had another dish installed in your, at your house, but that would be unrealistic. But you didn't answer my question about putting the the services on vacation. The satellite we can turn off for up to six months a year. And then we're not paying the monthly bill for That's those. correct. It's on vacation hold. Whereas we signed a two-year agreement with Sprint, and so we have to complete that agreement. And I was under the impression that we couldn't turn it off by the month. Even cancel the service. Even after the two months. That was After the two years. That was my impression. Uh-huh. They certainly won't let you do it for the first two years. Too bad. So I didn't inquire beyond that, really. Although, reading the agreement, it mentions nothing about vacation hold. Want to talk a little bit about speeds? So we have <laughs> my home cable speed, and cable ne- cable internet speed is just dramatic. Um, I'm getting about twenty four thousand kilobits per second. They guarantee me at least six. So we go down from there. Um, high speed cell phone was two megabits a second, two thousand. We go down from there, and, of course, the cell phone, you know, varied from 50 to 2,000. The satellite Internet um, improved dramatically from our old system. Our old system, we would get maybe five or 600. With the new hardware, we're getting a million. So, but it's consistent. It's always a million. Can you explain a little more about what is new about the new hardware? Why is it faster? What is it doing differently or better? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Well, that makes two of us. <laughs> it connects to the satellite faster. I don't know. It's sorry, I asked. Well, well I'm a u- I'm a user expert, I, but I don't understand the technologies. The satellite then is consistent. It is uh, a million downlink and about two fifty, two hundred and fifty uplink. Now we should talk just for a second about uplinking because it used to be that it was five or six hundred down and thirty up. And 30 up is extremely slow. As you might recall from previous podcasts, I do a blog when we're on the road, and I love to upload the pictures that I take. And even though I use software to reduce them in size, about to the size that you would use if you were emailing them to somebody, it still takes an incredibly long time. Often I can only do two pictures at a time, and I make dinner in between while I'm uploading the pictures. And that's upload. Now, most of the time, upload is not really much of an issue because you're sending that little URL, that those few characters that are in the URL, you send it up to the server, and then it sends the page down in response to your request. So the download speed or the download quantity of data is much more than the upload. So as a rule, it's much better to have fast download than fast upload. But there comes a point when the upload is really slow and that was the case with our old modem so the new hardware has improved the download speed but more importantly it has also dramatically improved our upload speed now with the cell phone the upload speed was in the 250 range also so it was pretty good and uh, I have no problem with a, a 250 upload for a portable connection so we're pretty happy with that and overall I think uh, I don't know whether we're going to keep both systems but uh, they both perform pretty well and uh, I hope we've given you the positives and the negatives and the situation these. has certainly improved since we started doing dramatically this. and that's why I want to talk about it today because this is something that's new and you might want to take advantage of it especially while the sprint card is free and uh, if you just want to plug it into your to your laptop, if you just have one computer along with you, you could easily do that and not really spend anything other than the 50 or $60 a month for the ongoing service. So that's a, a, pretty, good, uh, a pretty good development in, in the world of technology. 
Well, we've taken up a lot of time with this, but I hope it's been useful to you. Uh, next time, we are going to be talking a little bit more about some of the other customizing things that we've done. And uh, somebody sent us a very interesting email <laughs> and said, well, you've talked about uh, the differences between the types of uh, RVs that there are, but why, how do I tell the difference between the quality of an RV, of a particular, of a fifth wheel? Or of a motorhome, and boy, that got me to thinking. And there's so and many makes and yes. models, and how do you differentiate well, and, among and them all? How do you determine the quality of it? And <laughs> you know, kind of uh, good question. Good got question. our juices flowing. So we will uh, hopefully be answering those questions in the not too uh, distant future, and we hope that you will continue to to tune into us and, and listen to the podcast and send us some emails at navigator at rvnavigator.com. But until then, this is Ken, your RV Navigator, signing off and hoping that we'll see you in a campground near us very soon. And this is Martha, the co-pilot, wishing you happy travels.